You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matiash, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 16. We have Sex Decupled, our episode output. All right, we still have our clean rating, but it was iffy there for a second. Hey, listen, uh, I, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. So what, what, what do we have in the episode here? Well, so for episode 16, we're going to start off by just one of those tried and true topics about photography and photographers and gear. Talking about with all the pixel peepers out there, if you can really tell the difference between one full frame camera sensor to another or a cropped sensor or, you know, an APS-C or micro four thirds, like at what point do you really start hitting uh, diminishing returns where, you know what, this camera from that camera, I'm talking about today's cameras, you can do amazing things, even uh, to a point with mobile phone cameras. So that's the first topic. And then the second topic is this uh, was a topic that you brought up a while ago, but just earlier today, I received a comment on my on one of my blog posts. It was a person asking about he's starting to see more and more photographers make their move away from Macintosh back to Windows or not back necessarily, but to Windows. And he was wondering if that was something I was considering and what our thoughts are there. So I, I and I think it's a good conversation to have. We call that dark siding. Exactly. I just made that up backsliding <laughs> no dark siding going to the dark side i understand or backsliding whatever you want to do sure <laughs> so sharky yes i am of the belief that with cameras these days it's becoming harder to justify the need to upgrade so what i mean by that is i'll go personal example I pre-ordered the Sony a7R Mark III, which, you know, if we're talking about gear and this whole like pixel peeping, DxO Mark just gave it a 100, which as you've reported on your show, the Petapixel Photography Podcast, in the past, it tied with the Nikon D850, which is an, a very impressive score. And again, just to remember, just because I got 100, it's not out of 100. It's just, that's a very high score. The score can go above 100. They gave it 100. The D850 got a 100 as well, but they seat the D850 above the A7R Mark III for color depth. And I think, I can't remember what the other thing was, dynamic range or something. But these are, this is exactly my point. At what point are we really splitting hairs? Now, if you were to say, let's look at a camera from 2012 or one of the entry-level cameras like a Rebel, you know, or one of those KISS cameras, the Canon KISS, compared to a Sony uh, A7R two or three or a Canon uh, 5D Mark IV or the Nikon D850. Okay, that I can understand. But when we're talking about apples to apples comparisons or generational, I truly do not necessarily believe that there is that much of a compelling reason to upgrade. You can call me a hypocrite because I did upgrade, but I, I have my own reasons for it and I can share those. But I want to get your take first on this. I think if you're going to upgrade to the latest iteration of that particular model, the A7R Mark III in, in this case, Unless you're rich or you could justify it, it's a business expense. What your accountant says, you know, you need some more deductions, buy a new model, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Unless you have a feature in there that you absolutely need or is going to make your life or your job as a photographer better, why do it? I don't think I need to get the latest. The Fujifilm X-T3 is going to come out and I need to get that. There has to be a reason to do so. And, you know, when I was a photojournalist, <laughs> we're laughing because uh, the, the latest, what was the, uh, what did the latest hashtag ask NNPS? If you want to ask us a question, by the way, what did it say? Someone asked whether Sharky was a photojournalist. 
We love it when the uh, when the audience pokes fun at us. We thought that was hilarious. That was great. But uh, <laughs> hey, I was. That's my frame of reference. You know, when I did that job, I had a, a Nikon D700. Didn't have video in it. It had decent dynamic range. It was only 12.1 megapixels. It got the job done. It's full frame. Today, if you shoot with it, you won't know the difference between just about anything else. It takes beautiful photos. To upgrade from that to something else, you would go, okay, well, what am I getting? I'm getting more megapixels. Okay, do I really care about that? Maybe, maybe not. More dynamic range, that's great. You know, maybe I shoot scenes with a wide variety of tones in it. So that would be helpful. Otherwise, you know, if you're shooting landscapes, maybe you don't need the dynamic range as much. You know, let's say you're shooting in England, right? Or Portland. Yeah, you haven't seen the sun in, in what's the sun? And so... Maybe you don't need it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You have to be able to justify it. Does it have a new feature set in there that makes sense for you to upgrade? If it does not, cool your heels a little bit. Like, look at phones. I've got the iPhone 6 Plus. I've had it for three years and two months now. I don't feel the need to upgrade. Takes beautiful photos, makes phone calls just as perfect as any other smartphone. I don't feel like I need to upgrade. Apple gets you on the path of every two years, it's time to upgrade. And I think people think that with cameras as well. And I just talked about this in episode 233 of my show that Sony updated from the A7R Mark II to the A7R Mark III in, I think it was two years and two months. The Nikon D850 from the D810 to the D850 was three years and a couple months. And Canon went a whole four years plus between the 5D Mark III and the 5D Mark IV. Sure. So Sony's putting out cameras at quite a clip and they did that. I believe, because they wanted to get market share. They wanted to get mind share. Look at all these great things that we have. Upgrade. Or maybe if you don't upgrade, here's a new camera that'll get people who are shooting Canon or Nikon to switch over. That's going to slow down at some point. They're going to have to go to a, a longer stretch. Sure. You know, it's one thing if you're going from, if we're talking about upgrading within the the model. So like 5D Mark II, 5D Mark III, 5D Mark IV. With something like Sony, it was an interesting maneuver and one that I had not really seen done by anyone else to such an extent where they forked their cameras based on intent. For instance, you've got the A7, A7 II, and I would even argue the A9 to a degree is kind of like your utility player. That's your primary camera. It just does everything. It's a jack of all trades. So then you've got the A7R line, which is for resolution. So you've got this giant you know, big fat megapixel sensor in there. And it's primarily, you know, really for landscape photographers and commercial photographers that need to be able to output a very high megapixel image. Then you have the A7S line, which is for the kind of speed or sensitivity. And this is a lower megapixel sensor, but amazing for video and for low light performance, high ISO, low light. So in those situations, if you take those three cameras and put them side by side, there is, if you are the type of photographer, one, if you have the money, just like you said, but two, if you have the justification, there are reasons to upgrade. But going from, say, an A7R Mark II to an A7R Mark III, the current gen that just started shipping, for me, the reason why I upgraded wasn't because of the sensor, I'll tell you that much. It wasn't because of the faster or slightly faster um, buffer, you know, frames per second. I got the A9. That's probably one of the most expensive cameras I've ever purchased. And it comes with, for me, two features that are very, very important. One, the larger battery. The A9 now has a new battery cell that's larger than all the previous A7 series. Two, it has dual SD card slot where one of the slots supports the faster UHS-2 read and write. And if you get that, there are these Sony SD cards that read and write at 300 megabytes per second, which is blistering, which for a 42 megapixel sensor, you need, you need that. So 
the reason why I got the 7.3, and this is, for me, I'm done. These cameras have plenty of dynamic range. This A7R2 has tons of dynamic range support. But what I want to do, and again, I'm a working photographer. I have a business. And like you said, I have an accountant who we go through our expenses and our deductions. I want to standardize everything. I hate the idea of having to carry two different types of batteries, two different types of chargers, different types of SD cards. I want to standardize. Also, with landscape photography, which typically I'm outside, you're always outside for landscape photography, you're not doing a landscape of a, of a restaurant. It can be very cold and you're out for several hours at a time. And for me, the, the prospect of having a larger lithium battery, lithium batteries do discharge faster in the cold. Having a larger battery to me is, it's a great thing. So when I see people like, oh, should I upgrade? And they really can't give a good reason why other than it's the newest thing. They think maybe their photos are gonna be better. That's where I get concerned. Before I get to that, I was just thinking, I wonder if there are any landscape photographers who only shoot from the comfort of their car, right? So they got the air conditioning right on. Joking, but there's got to be maybe disabled photographers who are into landscape photography who do that. Of course. And, and right. And that is even harder. Absolutely. And I think that's, uh, you know, kudos to all the state parks departments and the National Park Services and all the, the organizations that maintain trails at these parks, uh, especially the ones that are for um, disabled people like on in the confined to wheelchairs and stuff. But for the people who are able bodied who just want to like essentially drive through photography, I know that uh, there was a, a, one of my favorite travelogue books by Bill Bryson called A Walk in the Woods. And it's his story about uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail. And towards the end, when he was done with his hike and he returned back to civilization, he noticed how many people, they wouldn't walk. If it was like a mile, mile and a half away, they'd just drive. And everything they do, they drive. And then he had a statistic of how many tourists that go to these parks, how many of them, how many feet from the parking lot they walk. And it's a staggeringly small number of feet. So, but that's neither here nor here. You know, it'd be really a stupid book would be Walking in the Woods. It's just a book about Christopher Walken in the woods that'd be horrible you're horrible or just like super high concept i don't know one of the two yeah anyways back to the uh the reasons to upgrade and that sort of thing so back when i was a photojournalist guy i always wondered you know like at which point do i have enough iso like i'd be shooting that d700 at 6400 iso which wasn't too bad and you could go higher than that in the normal range i think to maybe it was like maybe 25600 maybe or maybe it was just one step higher 12800 i was thinking you know if i had if i could shoot at 12800 shooting this indoor basketball game i'd have enough and then from there the higher iso you have in theory over time the cleaner it gets That'd be nice too. So I'd like to have more ISO that was usable, that wasn't like a digital snowstorm. And then eventually I would like 12,800 to look like ISO 100 now. That would be great. Those would be great reasons to upgrade because if your photography hasn't gotten better, if you can get a new camera and all of a sudden you're, because you are shooting at 6,400 ISO a lot, you're shooting football games, you're shooting whatever, little Johnny's basketball game, you could use more ISO. So at that point, getting the next camera and getting more ISO or being able to shoot at the same ISO, but have it look cleaner, you could make an argument for that. Now, you know, we get off in the woods because, you know, you've got an A7R Mark III. A lot of people are never going to have that camera. I've got an X-T2. I had a D4S at one point. That was 6,500 bucks. That's crazy expensive. But your average photographer maybe has a camera that's only a couple thousand bucks. Actually, the X-T2 is not even that expensive. You know what I'm saying? So how much does the A7R Mark III go for? Uh, a little over 3,000, 30. Two thirty three hundred. 
your average photographer is probably not going to spend that much. You know what I'm saying? Their feature set isn't as robust as what you're getting. And so when these iterations of these new cameras come out for them, what are they getting? They are getting one more ISO or being able to shoot at the ISO they're at and it's cleaner. But how much do you need that? Is that worth taking a hit? You sold your A7R Mark IIs and like mm-hmm. for what, half what you paid for them? That body's only been out for two years. That's crazy. You don't see that with Nikon and Canon as much. Yeah. yeah and, and I think to kind of wrap it up, I think that you made the point really well. I don't necessarily see as compelling of a reason for photographers to upgrade within the model, within that that family. So again, A7R2 to A7R3, despite, like I said, I gave you my reasons. Where I do see a much more compelling reason for a photographer to upgrade is that kind of the generational ones in terms of going from a Canon Rebel. I feel badly that I'm picking on the Canon Rebels because that's what I started out with. My first digital camera was the first digital Rebel. But going from that to, you know, even a, a Fuji X-T2, Fujifilm X-T2 is an admirable camera or going to a, uh, a Sony A7, picking up a, my, my old A7R2 for half the price. That is, I would say you would see dividends returned with uh, with your upgrade in terms of your photo capabilities, but just going from one to the other because it's newer, because it might have something like a, a slightly larger sensor is, I don't know. What kills me is the A7R Mark II is the camera that many people lusted after. And then now that the A7R Mark III is out, it's like, well, who cares about that Mark II? That's horrible. I need the A7R Mark III. You don't. You're really not going to see that much of a difference. And we talked about the incivility of these trivial things that people argue about online. And do we want to get into that or do we want to save that for its own topic? Like why photographers just belittle each other for their choices that shame them for their camera choices and and just argue to the nth degree about these things? I don't think we necessarily have to talk about it outright, but it's a good segue to our next topic, uh, which is about switching. I mean, talk about incivility and and public shaming and stuff. But again, the next topic is a user named Joey left a comment on one of my blog posts. And I'll link to that blog post. I'll link to everything that we're talking about here uh, in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. But let me read this comment to you, Sharky, really quickly. So we're segueing from cameras to computers, but it's still very much binary. So from Joey, Brian, apologies from getting somewhat off topic, but I noticed you are still using a Mac. I am too. I've noticed a significant trend of people switching back to Windows. I plan on doing the same around the new year, hoping to get some deals on new hardware, looking at Surface stuff in parentheses. I've been toying around with some loner gear and Lightroom performance seems better than on my Mac. Have you looked at Windows hardware recently? Anything stand out? So Sharky, (laughs) you're a Mac user, right? Absolutely. And so am I. Uh, I switched to Mac uh, my junior year of college. So that was 1999. And I haven't used a Windows machine since then. However, I am not going to lie. Lately, I have been really compelled to consider switching to Windows. And I don't think that I would necessarily negatively impact myself by doing so. You know, this is what Scott Bourne says. You know, a lot of people have, they make this Mac versus PC thing a religion. It really doesn't matter these days. You can get the software that you need on a PC that you can get on a Mac. Back in the day, the argument was, you've got 10,000 programs available for PC that you don't have for the Mac. Well, how many programs do you need to use? And whatever you had on the PC, you could get on the Mac you know, that top brand. Sort of. And there's all these alternatives now. There's really no reason, software-wise, it's at parity. Sort of. 
you're right. And I, uh, before the show, I was upstairs and I was kind of thinking about this because I figured this would be the kind of argument. And I agree with you 99%. There is one piece of software that is Apple only that I currently use, and that's Final Cut Pro X to edit my videos. Now, I have Creative Cloud, the full version, which means I have Premiere CC. I can't take my videos that I've edited in Final Cut and import them, meaning with the cuts and the everything into Premiere. I can simply just kind of make a transition over and but here's where I, I think that Joey is onto something and why I, th- I I honestly agree with him that I do think we're starting to see more people. One, on uh, to your point, there is a lot of software parity and all the software has feature parity, meaning it's not just the same product, but both products operate the same way. You're not missing anything. But Windows, up until Windows 10, which is the current iteration, has been, I mean, arguably just a, a dumpster fire, one dumpster fire after the other. And from what I've heard from a bunch of Windows users is it has come a long way. So you've got that. Reciprocally, just this week, we had IM Root, or, or also known as Rootgate, which for those of you that didn't hear, with macOS, the current version of macOS, High Sierra, they let out a bug that's so insidious, so harmful. I cannot believe that a company like Apple would let that happen. And that is basically if Sharky, if I was with you and your laptop, for instance, was or your your iMac was running the latest version of High Sierra, and you took not the latest version, the version before this fix that came out the other day, and you went to the bathroom or something, I can get root access to your computer. It it's insane, but what this bug did, Apple has since fixed it. But the fact that this kind of stuff is starting to come from Apple, and it's not just macOS, it's also iOS. iOS 11 is just plagued with issues. What I'm seeing is that almost like everything comes full circle in a way. Vinyl is cool again. So next we're going to start having floppy and zip drive disks again. But the point is, I am wondering whether it's just Apple has been in the sun for too long. Microsoft is starting to capitalize. And then to you know finish my thing, uh, get your point in. I am very interested in the ability to build a balls to the wall Windows PC you know, choosing the components at a fraction of the price, even with the upcoming iMac Pro that's supposed to be announced, I would say this month, and have superior performance. So what do you think? It comes at the cost of being able to relearn everything. So within the actual programs, you're good. But operating system wise, you're going to have to relearn where things are, how to do things. I personally don't have that kind of time. So if you have the time to do that, and that sounds enjoyable to you, rediscovering computing, you know, a different system that you're not used to, that's fine. But if you're busy and you need to get work done, that might not be ideal for you. That might hamper you. So that might not be something that might be a reason to not upgrade. I've been using the Mac OS for decades now. I'm an expert at it. I can tell you where everything is. I know how to get to it. To kind of your point of time, because I agree with you. I have the same problem, not to go too off on a tangent, but with looking at Adobe Lightroom and Capture One especially with the brand new version that just came out, version 11, uh, the other day. The photographers who I speak with that use Capture One swear by it. And I install the trial and I have good friends who work there who are kind enough to supply me with a with software license so I can run it. But we've been using Lightroom for so long, it's second nature. You I mean, the keyboard, show, you're, you're flying through it. But at what point do you stop using that as an excuse? Like for me, if I were Microsoft or Dell or whoever, and I wanted people to get in on this, I would do a loaner program, you know, kind of like what Borrow Lenses does or any of these other loaner programs. You put a credit card deposit and send me, because I don't want to have to buy, this is a big upfront expense, a computer. 
actually, I just, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. I'm, because I'm sure someone's going to bring this. I can't believe this hasn't crossed my mind. Ever since Apple has introduced Intel processors, we have Bootcamp, which is the ability to kind of have a dual bootloader where you can go into win. I can't believe I didn't think about this, Sharky. I'm admitting this on the air right now, live. I thought I had to go out and buy a computer. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a license for Windows 10, and I'm going to try it out. I can't believe I didn't think of it either. You and I have talked about this before. In the past, you would download all these obscure programs and extensions and all these little things and, and widgets to make your Mac better and different. And these days, we don't do that as much because we do a lot of that stuff on our phone. We get that kind of functionality. I haven't even thought about dual booting and all that in forever. I haven't needed to, but yeah, you could totally do that. I am so ashamed of myself, but I'm glad that I got it on air because everyone listening, this is genuinely a revelation. I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my Mac. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm not going to try. I'm going to do it. I'm going to install a partition with the latest version of Windows 10. I'm going to play around with it because I want to see if what you're saying is true, if it rings true. I think it would have rang true before this matured version of Windows 10. But what I'm really interested in is whether there is a notable performance improvement, because I don't care about all the, and I hate even saying the word, the whiz-bang UI features of like how it operates. What I care about is if I load Lightroom, I don't think the Mac catalog would work in Windows. I'd have to probably create a new catalog with all the stuff. I don't know yet, but will I see performance improvements And then, of course, the next question, because it's still running the same hardware, I'm still running the same Mac. If I were to build another computer, a Windows computer with, you know, current gen i7 processor, tons of RAM and fast GPUs, if I would see even more of a performance improvement. I know the answer when it comes to Lightroom. You will see no performance improvement. Performance improvement and Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, whatever version, well, not the CC one. They're antithetical. I think, isn't that the word? They just don't go together. Yeah. Yeah, they're oxymorons. (laughs) Anyway, I mean, the the thing is, with regards to go back to Joey's question, I don't know that I see a lot of photographers going from Windows to Mac. I'm being totally honest, but I know I've seen people, photographers that have made the switch to Windows. They've gotten fed up with Apple for whatever reason. I mean, you have from a professional line, they haven't updated that you still have the 2013 Mac Pro, the trash can that has had some speed bumps just to for Apple to have a, a marketing PR check. But this iMac Pro, that's already looking like you're in the four to $5,000 range, which is obscene for a computer that has built-in obsolescence. You can't really upgrade it. So on the Windows side, what I would argue is you can either probably for $4,000 build a Windows machine that will crush an iMac, or you can probably build a machine that has comparable specs to that iMac Pro for significantly less if I'm making an assumption here. Yeah, see, for me, it's going to come down to do I have the time to make that all happen? And I just don't. So it's going to be a personal decision for everybody. If you have the money, if you have the time and you're just fed up, that's the moment you make the switch. Yeah, I would say definitely what we both kind of the revelation we had was try installing Windows, procure a license for Microsoft and install a bootcamp partition and just try it out. I think that's a, a, a totally reasonable thing because I don't know if I like Windows. I, I remember back in the day of having a program files folder and I don't know. I'm going to give it a shot, though. Sounds like a plan. And how much would it cost roughly for someone to do that? Creating bootcamp is free. I mean, that's part of macOS. But uh, going to Windows, there are different flavors to, uh, you know, there are different types of Windows licensing. So for Windows 10, the OS itself, there's an entire wizard you can go through. And so you can get Windows 10 Home 
school or business, I'm going to go to business. And on Microsoft's website, that is 200 bucks US for Windows 10 Pro. All right. So that's not too bad. No, I mean, listen, you can argue that with Apple, Mac OS doesn't cost anything. It's built in. The upgrades are built in. They come with your computer as long as your computer is compatible. You know, you know, you don't have a five-year-old Mac. However, you know, you do have to get... Actually, no, if you already... For instance, I have Office 365 because people send me Word documents and stuff, and I, I don't like Apple pages. That, you have, I think, five install seats. So I can install that the Mac version and the PC version, which is great. So a couple hundred bucks or whatever to try it out. But then, okay, so then you're running Windows on your Mac. You're talking about going to an entirely different Windows machine and such. That's going to be an upgrade. You're going to have to sell Mm -hmm. something. It's just a bunch of, it's a pain for people. Absolutely. And I think with Joey, I think I would argue that there is a built-in assumption that the learning curve, that time, that upfront time is acceptable. For me, I don't know. That's why we'll see. I I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to think about it, but I'm not going to lie. For a while now, I've been strongly considering leaving Mac. I'm really disenchanted with iOS. I have the iPhone 10 and I have a Pixel 2 XL on its way coming on Monday on Android phone. The more and more I'm using iOS, the more and more I'm using Mac. For some reason, I'm just becoming, it's just their little things are really uh, just chipping away and it's making me want to at least look at other options. Sounds like a good deal. I'm not moving to Windows anytime soon. I just don't have the time to do it. And my Mac's working just fine for me. You know, is it going to speed up Lightroom? No, it's not. What am I really going to get out of it? Right. But Sharky, I've got a question for you. Sure. What is it? What's on your gear shelf? I'm happy you asked. So what's on my gear shelf? And we definitely need a page over on the website or something to keep track of this because I'm going to forget and have the same pick. I know at some point. I don't think I've done this before. Let's see. Can you hear this? That's Velcro or hook and loop if it's not actual Velcro. It's like Kleenex, right? So it's a Think Tank Photo SD Pixel Pocket Rocket. And there's, you know, CF versions. There's probably XQD versions. I've got mine populated with SD cards from the past of varying sizes and states of operability, I'm sure. Who knows? You want to protect your cards. You know, CF cards are great. CFast, they're robust. You can put them through the washer and dryer if you need to. You don't really want to, but they, I hear, they survive. SD cards Not so much. I hate SD cards with a passion. They're just horrible. But you want to protect your cards. You want to keep them in one place. And basically, it's a wallet, right? And it's got these little pockets in it and this uh, plastic. And you stick them in there. And generally, I think what most photographers do, if you have something like this, is when you're done shooting a card, you turn it backwards. So you're looking at the back of it now. That's how you know you shot it. So you don't shoot over it. Right. So this one right here holds nine SD cards. That's probably enough for most people, especially if you got like 64 gigs on up, depending on what size, you know, if you have a a, a Sony A7R Mark III and you got ginormous files, you probably need more cards, bigger cards, of course. But this thing, I don't know, it's like, what, 20 bucks or so? And it's great. Buy once, cry once. You get it, you own it, and you're good to go. Yep. I also have one for my batteries, too. So I've got one, and I don't know what this one's called, but this one fits two sets of four, so eight AA batteries. They make them for all kinds of different things these days. But, you know, that way you keep your battery. We've talked about that before, keeping sets of batteries together, keeping your cards together, just keeping them nice and handy. And they have a leash on it, not the one for the uh, batteries, but for your SD cards and such. It's got a little leash on it. You can uh, attach it to your bag. So, you know, you make sure it stays put, and it's where you're expecting it to be. 
Yep. And I, I have those same products and I have one. It, the, it's a think tank. It's a battery pack holder. It's meant to hold four batteries for like the Canon 5D Mark II, 5D Mark III, but it actually is also perfect for holding the newer Sony Z series batteries that are made for the A9 and the A7R Mark III. So I, that goes with me everywhere. Nice. So what's on your gear shelf? So what's on my gear shelf is it's actually sitting on my desk and I have two of them. It's not gear for photography per se, but every single photographer, especially since we were just talking about computers, I strongly recommend investing in this. And it's it's basically a UPS, an uninterrupted power supply. It's a giant battery. I have two of them, same model by a company called Trip Light, T-R-I-P-P. Uh, light. It, it's a 900 watt, 1500 VA kind of UPS battery. So my computers, my cable modem, and my mesh Wi-Fi router go into these. And the back of each of these, there are five outlets where you can plug in that will have battery backup, and then five that are just regular surge protected. So in the event of a power outage, and you know we're as we get into storm season, you gotta have brownouts. If the power goes out, I can have this entire computer set up. I'm talking about a 27-inch iMac, a 31 and a half inch 4K BenQ display, my cable modem, everything up and running without any issue so that I can gracefully shut down. To me, that is, because I've been burned. I mean, kind of literally, but I've had a computer completely fry. With hard drives, for example, same thing, my G-Technology RAID drives, they go into the battery backup. The G-Technology ones, especially, I'm very sensitive about protecting because with SSDs, it's not as big of a deal if you have a instant abrupt shutdown because there are no moving parts. If anything, you might lose whatever software if you haven't saved it and you don't have autosave on. But with my G technology drives, pretty much any RAID drive or any drive that is used platter based with a magnetic arm, having that jolt can seriously damage or destroy your drive. So being able to have those extra few minutes where you have a battery that's providing power, it can seriously help avoid a problematic, painful experience. Your power going out, suddenly stopping is one thing, but the dip in power that, you know, like you said, that brownout that just not just like a surge or the power goes out or whatever, but it goes kind of like, you know, like you see your lights kind of dim a little bit and then go back up. That is bad. I've also been burned before, too. I've lost computers and such. And once that happens, you will never do that again. And you're going to be replacing that battery. And a lot you want to get one also where you can replace the battery. Absolutely. And then also you want to replace that battery responsibly. So like I said before, I've got an e-waste basket, an e-waste box to put stuff in. Every once in a while, you go take it to wherever Best Buy or wherever, you know, recycles it and such. And uh, yeah, you definitely want one of these. It gives you the time to power things down. There's software to do it if you're not home, etc. But you definitely don't want to be plugging your stuff into just a power strip or the wall because you're asking for trouble. And that, that goes for your camera gear, your computer gear, your chargers or better, everything. Absolutely. Awesome. So I think it was a good show. What do you think if we say so ourselves? I do say so. I think it was a really fun show. A lot of good PSAs. Awesome. So Brian, how can people reach you? Well, Sharky, uh, you can reach me on my website, which is matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H. I'm also going to be restarting my weekly live stream on YouTube called The Photo Show, and that's just youtube.com slash Brian Matias. What about you, Sharky? Awesome. And where are you on social media and such? At Brian Matias, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H, everywhere. Awesome. And you gave me the plug early, so I didn't have to mention it. I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast, one of the biggest photography podcasts the planet has ever seen, which is actually true, but it's fun to say. Anyhow, that's at petapixel.com slash podcast. Petapixel, just type in Petapixel, P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L, in your favorite podcatcher or the internet. That's right, the internet. And you can find me. I'm at LensShark.com, LensShark everywhere on the internet that matters, Instagram, the Facebook, 
as we old people say, and the Twitters. Excellent. Awesome. So do you want to clap it out? Let's do it, brother. All right, here we go. Ready? One, two. All right. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. 